Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the U.S. military's takeover of college athletics sports business podcast, The Sportacast. You and one Daniel Libet have spent quite a many months uh, checking into this story, and I'll just give the gist, and then I'll turn the microphone over to you. But in short, at a time of great upheaval in college sports, and as we saw Mark Emmert, by the way, departing the NCAA, a time of great change and upheaval, the U.S. military is looking to insert itself into athletic promotion by giving scholarships to athletes in the non-revenue sports, that's basketball and football aside, everything else, swimming, track and field, they're looking to give scholarships, like tens of thousands of scholarships, in return for, of course, military service after school. Now you fill in the blanks. Yeah, this is, uh, as you mentioned, something that, that we've been been working on for, for a few months now. The idea here came from a Air Force contractor back in September who wrote a brief that was then circulated to a number of high-ranking military officials, members of Congress, some senators, uh, other members of the Department of Transportation and the intelligence communities. And as you said, the idea here is uh, there's two big problems that they're looking to solve. One being internal within the military. Uh, they're struggling with their recruiting. They, they bring a lot of people to basic training that physically can't pass it. They obviously look at college sports and they say, oh, that's a that's a tasty demographic of the type of people that we would love to have in our service moving forward. And the second issue problem being in college sports, COVID exacerbated a lot of financial problems. And as the rich keep getting richer, more and more schools are confronting the idea that they may have to change big things about their programs. And, and we've seen almost 300 programs cut in the past two years. Those are varsity programs in, in across all divisions of NCAA for schools that have said, look, we, we don't want to, these, these programs aren't making us money and, and we don't want to fund them anymore. Uh, so this defense contractor essentially looked at those two things 
military's recruiting is not so good. Uh, college sports is struggling to fund their programs. And he said, look, uh, we can solve both these problems maybe w- w- in one swoop. The military could divert a lot of the, the billions, Scott, that, that they're spending on recruiting, spend some of that to fund athletic scholarships for entire teams in college sports, make those scholarships contingent on the athletes serving a certain amount of time after they're done with school, and maybe we've solved both of these problems. Uh, this is a, a fairly shocking idea, Scott, that that obviously is is a long shot to happen for a number of reasons. But it was fascinating in the reporting to see just how deep into the Department of Defense and how high up into Congress these conversations have already gotten. All right. Like my knee-jerk reaction was, do these athletes want to sign on and like, oh, find themselves on the front lines right away? And you said, no, that's not the case. That's not what the plan would be. Part of the pitch here is that the military wants to destigmatize and, and change the conversation about what it means to join the military. And 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 a, a lot of the recruiting here would be you're, you're not getting a, a helmet and a gun and, and being shipped out to, to, to the front line somewhere. You will be doing the same kind of work that you might be doing uh, in the private sector depending on what you're interested in. So if you're an electrical engineer, we can use that in the military. If you're a, a, a computer programmer or a coder, we can use that in the military. The, these are jobs like logistics specialists and, uh, and engineers and things like that. So again, the allure here from the military, certainly the idea of having a very set, probably highly qualified, both physically and mentally group of people that join the service, and also uh, maybe a way to change the conversation happening nationally around uh, what it means to, to join up with the military and what it means uh, to do service in that regard after you're done with school. One of the bonuses of having sat next to you for how long has it been now? I don't even know. How long have I sat next to you? More than a decade. <laughs> a decade, yeah, more. Okay, more. so so you, I hear your phone calls, you hear my phone calls, and sometimes I'm chuckling because I kind of know who you're talking to and you know who I'm talking to. And you just, it, it's kind of it's kind of funny. I, I know where you're headed and what you're going to say next simply by hearing one part of the conversation. But from some of your conversations on this, I can hear that you were expecting more naysayers you were expecting more people to shoot holes in this plan. This won't work because of X, Y, you know, A, B, C, all the way down to Z. But you kept finding people who were saying, nah, this is viable. I mean, it could, it works under our rules or this could work. So you, you said before, unlikely to happen. I'm curious, what are those top two or three reasons that would make it unlikely to happen? There's a few things here. One, the proposal suggests that in st- that, that by using Department of Defense money, schools can offer essentially unlimited scholarships to, to, to fill entire teams. And as you know, Scott, the NCAA has very strict limits on how many scholarships you can offer. The, the average D1 men's lacrosse team is almost 50 players. Schools are only allowed to offer 12.6 scholarships. So, so most athletes on a, on, a, on, a, on a men's Division I lacrosse team are either getting a very small amount of, of, of scholarship money or no scholarship money at all. Part of the pitch here was that the, the military could come to these schools and say, hey, Johns Hopkins, you, you, you now have the money to offer 50 scholarships. You can put the entire team on scholarship. What about At, this? Though? Let, me, let me jump in. Yeah, what about that? And I'm just getting creative because we all know the federal government backs student loans. So this is, an F, in essence, you know, Uncle Sam is the U.S. government. What if it was a, I'll give you X 0% loan that should you... Um, complete whatever we're asking for, we will forgive the loan. Almost like going, you see the teachers that go to small towns, right? Yeah. So 
Um, what if they said, all right, we will front the money. And it, in some cases, depending on how you, you know, proceed, you have to pay it back at 0% or we're willing to forgive the loan if you do fulfill certain protocols. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think the, the goal here, you have to, it has to be as, as easy and ha- as alluring as a current athletic scholarship is. And, 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 and right now I think that the way they're thinking about it, it is, um, it's just a matter of, I like you're thinking outside the box. Yeah. It's well, just a matter I'm way of, outside the box. Hey, 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 hold on now. We're, we're <laughs> this in the whole plan N- is outside the box. To, yeah, to but be we clear. are, we are in the NIL era right now. What if yeah. I just want to say to represent the U S government and the military, I want to pay your tuition. That's fine. Done. Done, Again, right? and, and that's 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 one of the interesting things. I think maybe one a couple of those conversations that you're alluding to to me on the phone. I talked to a number of people and kind of scoured the NCAA rulebook myself to get a sense of yeah, what would the NCAA say about a plan like this. Oh, is there and anything it, more unappealing than the sentence of <laughs> "I just scoured the NCAA rulebook"? It's, it's dense. I understand why they're trying to to, to condense it. Um, and, and the truth is, Scott, is that there's nothing outside of scholarship limits. I don't, I don't think there's much in this idea that the NCAA would immediately. Balk at we we have Division One institutions like Army and Navy that are that have athletes across campus that are already committing to doing eight years of service when they're done being a college athlete. We have ROTC on campus where there are tons of varsity athletes right now that are currently also simultaneously in training to be commissioned officers when they graduate, and we also have uh, a ton of of scholarships that are endowed. So we have donors, rich people out there who call up the local AD and say, "Hey, I want to endow." five women's basketball scholarships, and, and, and then those become funded by somebody else, an athletic scholarship funded by not the university directly, but vis-a-vis that, that arrangement. So in, in some ways, there's some parts of this plan that are actually not that abnormal and that we have a lot of college athletes right now who are committing to serve in the military moving forward. And then in, in other ways, when you think about the scale here, that's when I think this becomes such a pie in the sky idea. You're talking about tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of athletes each year. You're talking about entire programs that are turning their athletic department over into a, essentially a recruiting vessel for, for, for the government. I think there's really interesting ways in which this idea could be morphed into a much smaller adaptation and maybe tried that way. But, but when you're talking about every college athletic program that is not a football or a basketball program uh, at every school, at every level across the country, then you start to realize, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that schools are going to be up for this. And, and then the last piece there, are, are kids also going to be, do, do people want to play college tennis so badly that they're, if the only option is this, if, if, are they willing to do that? I think there's obviously a lot of unanswered questions here that would need to be answered in, in, in a much deeper way if any of this were to become serious. All I know is we have wealthy people in this country who are feigning resumes, athletic resumes for their kids so that they can go to particular institutions and get in. You know, nope, never really played volleyball, but yep, highly recruited volleyball player, right? So if yeah. that's what, you know, if people are willing to do that, uh, and whether it's the parents or the kids, what are they willing to do to to play Division One, whatever uh, athletics? I I don't think we've seen the limits on that yet. And we'll get to Mark Emmert in a minute, but also coming on this all comes by the way, as you know, we we heard Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, come out and say, yeah, he sees this great change coming in college sports, like the separation of the top tier of college sports. So I, I'm I'm not sure anybody doesn't want everything on the table. Who knows what we we've asked ADs, we've asked NCA folks about sort of the privatization of the top level. 
whether it be private equity groups come in and privatize the top level of college sports and really just look, look to push the profit angle of it all. And people say, yeah, I could see that happening. You know, if we had Bain Capital looking to buy the NHL low those many years ago, why not the top level of college athletics? It's funny that you mentioned Jack, because I talked to Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD, for this story. And I thought this was a great line at one point. He was like, is this the craziest idea I've ever heard? No, I work in college sports. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Uh, and you're right. The, the, the entire NCA business model is changing so much now. It seems like every day there's something new happening. I'm getting whiplash just keeping track of it. One of the big things that the NCAA... Mark Emmer, who, who we'll get to in a second, a lot of powerful ADs, a lot of them are lobbying for the federal government to step in here. Yeah. And, and to be clear, this, this scholarship program is not what they mean by that. They want an antitrust exemption, maybe to make some concessions in a way of getting some kind of legal protection from Congress. But, but you're right in that everything is changing right now for college sports. Nobody knows what top tier, mid tier or lower tier college sports is going to look like in five years. And as a result, I talked to a lot of people for this story who all said exactly what you said, Scott, you know, th th there could be a crisis moment in college sports where this becomes an option that people want to take seriously. We're, we're, we're maybe not there yet, but call me back in six months or call me back in a year and, and we'll see where we are because nobody in college sports understands where they're going to fit in this landscape in five years or, or maybe even two years. Well, my father was an army guy. And let me think, my focus group of one is coming up on 13. So five, four years from now, when schools maybe are looking at him, if it's what he wants to do and play a little college hockey, you know, uh, let's see who, who I believe, and I'm giving them a recruiting advantage right now. I shouldn't do this. Uh -oh. but, he, but he did say to me, all right, dad, what's the best school and best hockey team combination in Division One college hockey? That Princeton. was the question for me. <laughs> You're a little bit biased there. <laughs> you, you, you know, he has worked with Zane Columba, who, as you know, also you works with, yeah. with, with Princeton University. Princeton Hockey, but great. I, I'm sorry, sorry. I did not say Princeton. Can you guess what I did tell him? I am going to guess that you said, I mean, it, recently, it's hard to argue with Yale. Boston College, I would think, would be high up there, too. Wow, how angry. Michigan? Is, no, how angry. Yeah, Michigan's very good, yeah. but how angry. You just mentioned Yale and left off the rival. Oh, Harvard? Yes. Yeah, uh, I think Yale's been better in the past decade than Harvard. I uh, Actually, I'm not, I'm not that sure about well, that. Well, I, I said Harvard. Yale's won a know? national championship recently. Yeah, yes, but I said Harvard if only because, I don't know, I, I kind of like the the area of campus and whatever good, and if good, i'm going yeah. to new haven i'm just getting pizza right <laughs> um so you know hey harvard just letting you know i i know you don't give out athletic scholarships it's just financial aid but who knows where we're going so if in four years you need a goaltender with a with, with a funny personality i'll tell you who's very good at sending out family guy uh clips on uh on all of the social media i got one for you and you, all you have to do is pay uh, I don't know, whatever the four years cost. So, uh, <laughs> all of that, it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Whatever. All you do have to pay is everything. Other than that, we're, we're, we're good. I'll pick up, I'll pick up books. How, how about that? I'm fair. All right. So tell me about Mark Emmert. Surprising announcement the other day, Eben. He is uh, stepping down as the head of the NCAA. I don't see how anybody could be surprised because that job right now, you said you have whiplash. I mean, his, his head must explode every day trying to figure out how do I wrap my arms around these institutions like one institution doesn't want to do what the other is doing one level it does it's not doesn't equate to the other level uh, almost impossible to figure out how to govern this thing right now we have no idea where it's going 
Yeah, I agree with you. It's not a it's not a huge surprise. He has three years left on his contract. He will not be serving that out. I think it's hard to argue, Scott, that that Mark has done an incredibly good job here. That the NCA has lost repeatedly at various levels of of, of of legal litigation, including at the highest level of the Supreme Court. Uh, and I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the NCA kind of lost control of college sports in in the past. 12 months. The NIL has kind of run away from them. The NCA had a chance to kind of put their stamp on a, on a national framework. They decided not to do that. Um, there's so much, as we said, that's changing right now. And, and the official kind of response from the NCA most recently has been kind of throwing its hands up in the air. They, they ratified that new constitution that will give individual divisions and maybe even conferences a lot of their own autonomy for for rulemaking, for rule enforcement. Um, I think the NCA is trying to reexamine where it's going to fit into whatever college sports settles into in in the next few years. And it seems very clear that the, the, that the organization both wants to and probably should do that under new leadership. And again, I, they said this was a mutual decision. I'm sure that Mark Emmert, who's been in the position for for a little over a decade, I'm sure he also understood that as well. Um, I will be fascinated, Scott, to see who they start interviewing for this job, who wants this job, because right now, as we've been discussing, uh, you have no idea what this what this job this this job could be the most powerful person in college sports as it's been uh, well, for for a long show, time. Show me the pay package, and you'll find plenty yeah. of people willing to put up with the headache. <laughs> sure, yeah, yes. show me the pay package. I'll, yes, the pay package is going to be good. I think Mark was making two and a half million uh, last year. Um, but again, could could be a, a really prominent position in this billion dollar industry. And there's also a situation in which it becomes kind of a toothless, uh, not powerful person in this industry. Let me ask and you this right now, right now, who is more powerful, Mark Emmert or the next Mark Emmert or the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey? It's Greg Sankey, I think, without without question. And I think that's, again, because of the way in which in the past couple of years, the NCA has repeatedly said, "I'm we're going to defer to you, the conferences and the divisions. We'll let you guys do your own thing. We are now very close to both the SEC and the Big Ten, both of them having more annual revenue than, than, than the NCAA is. The NCAA does not control... The, the, the football postseason in any capacity. And as you know, Scott, that's the, the biggest moneymaker there is uh, in, in, in college sports. Uh, the, the, those conferences are going to be richer than the NCAA, and they're increasingly getting the ability to kind of set their own rules. So I, I think it's, I think you can make an easy argument that both Greg Sankey and Kevin Warren are, are right now more powerful than, than Mark Emmert is and will be more powerful than his successor is. And again, I think that's the trend we're seeing from the NCAA. They have tried for decades and decades now to rule Alabama in the same way they rule Alabama State. And it's kind of always been a fool's errand, but I think the the model finally cracked this year. And, and again, I think it's a very tough job to step into, not just because you don't know where college sports is going. You just don't know where the NCAA is going within that, within that bigger question. Well, they'd be wise, whoever the new person is, come on in and hire a chief Twitter expert. No better way of disseminating your side, your, uh, you know, if really that uh, Twitter has become sort of the global meeting room, right? And news, of course, Elon Musk made a bid to buy Twitter. Let's see if he can consummate the deal here. Um, but Twitter sports is a real thing, right? You know, mm -hmm. NBA Twitter, like Twitter sports is a real thing. And I'm just wondering, and this is just you and I spitballing here. What's the change to sport, if anything, with Elon Musk taking over Twitter? Uh, you know, he's all about, he said, oh, free speech, free speech. 
Um, he is he has done things on Twitter to sort of go at critics and opponents in in the past. Um, I don't know. I have zero idea if Elon Musk is a sports fan. I have no idea. But you know, any change you see, or <laughs> if he wants any, the Broncos, it's his. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! You're, you know, I'd like to see Rob Walton and Elon Musk go at it. I, I understand, like Elon on, on the rankings list comes out a little higher, just a bit higher, yeah. But wouldn't it be great to <laughs> like to have Rob Walton say, "I'm putting a group together." Right, so funny that that, that yeah, just the family. We're getting the we're getting the whole Walton family together to see if we can bid on the Broncos. But I'm just curious. Anything you see? Um, we've lightly bandied this about, but you know, folks inside the company are waiting to see what happens next. What what, what do we do? What's what's going to happen? And I'm just curious. Does anything happen for sports? It, it's literally. I mean, it, it's literally the question you're asking is the 44 billion dollar question here. And and I think it's such a great one. I, there are people much smarter than me that 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 can probably answer that better. I have been trying personally to kind of separate my feelings for kind of the way in which this happened from my thoughts on the way in which my Twitter experience and the Twitter experience for our industry changes. And on that second thing, I have no idea. My, my general feeling towards Sports is that barring just a few small exceptions, uh, sports is a business it's, it, in many ways, very corporate. A lot of people are very cautious when it comes to, to social media. I, I don't think of too much on this, uh, that we see on the sports side as being the types of things that are kind of on the fringes of content moderation, which Elon has talked a lot about on the fringes of being banned, being blocked, et cetera. Uh, so in some ways, I think that, that, that our industry the sports side of Twitter is is maybe one of the least likely to change a lot, but I am certainly open to to any interpretation or anyone's thoughts that that, that think that I am underthinking that or overthinking that, and, and and maybe there's something something dramatic in what Elon is proposing or what he may do that actually may fundamentally change things. All right, here's the absolute truth, because you know I always tell you the truth. I know you were just talking for like a minute. I have no idea what you said because I <laughs> I'll, was. I'll looking, tweet about it later. Well, okay, good. Yeah, that, I'll see it there. I was looking at our fourth segment here because we have been—I don't know—for the past few months, been cross-promoting and utilizing some of the editorial from one of our sister brands, Dirt.com, and Dirt pretty much covers the real estate market. And one of these subsections is athletes. So we've been putting out these athletes buying and selling homes, and man, oh man, I got to say, people love these stories. They they're so popular. Yeah, they absolutely. <laughs> and I and popular. I get it. It's just sort of like you know the opulence of like Russell Wilson's. You and I had the same reaction. He sold whatever this eighteen. What I, I really don't remember Russell's number, but whatever the house he sold, some crazy house in uh, Seattle. In Seattle. Yeah. And you and I both had the same reaction. We did not give one iota about the uh, you know ten, twelve, fifteen thousand square foot house. It was the tree house. He had this. The best looking treehouse. And you you even said, I'm happy to trade my one bedroom Manhattan apartment for the treehouse. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving a smaller apartment for a waterfront uh, treehouse in, uh, in, in, on the Puget Sound. But we also noticed a little trend here that the Los Angeles Rams keep popping up. Like it, we have Aaron Donald buying a $17 million California home. We, we had stories about what, Sean McVay, the coach, Matthew Stafford, the quarterback, Cooper Cup. The Super Bowl MVP wide oh, no, receiver, Beckham. yeah, yeah, OBJ, yeah, that that that's. I mean, what, what's my favorite? I'm tr- I'm trying to figure out. Like, I'm just I'm looking through all the notes. Like, so Sean McVay, fourteen million nine thousand square foot mansion, okay. Uh, Matthew Stafford, of course, had one hundred sixty million dollar <laughs> contract. He bought a twenty million dollar house, and then here's my favorite, Matt Stafford, which tells me that he's a real estate investor. He's not just buying a house. 
Matt Stafford bought two side-by-side homes from Drake, right? He spent $11 million on the side-by-sides by Drake. Now, is he going to like combine them? Is he, is he renting them out separately? Is he going to refurbish? What's he doing? What's Matthew Stafford doing with these homes? Cooper Cup, two homes, one in LA, one in Oregon, $6.5 million total. But here, this is the part I love where I know these are real estate investors. He is asking, he's now, he bought it a year ago. So now he's selling the LA home, asking six mil, two million more than he paid a year ago. Not like bad. I know real estate appreciation is good. Interest rates were really low. It's starting to creep up. But is he making two mil profit on a home he bought a year ago? I'm it's fascinated by this. It's the home where a uh, a Super Bowl champion slept. Uh, that's got to add some value to it. Scott, by the way, I love that a couple episodes ago, you were lamenting the fact that you don't take notes for the podcast. And then you came prepared with detailed well, this, real estate this, listings. This was impossible Los for me. Los Angeles to, Rams. <laughs> what kind of mess would this have been if I tried to, by memory, go by what the LA Rams have done in the real estate market recently? Yeah. And by what, the way, like I'm showing you the page now on our little camera Look i mean as, it, i mean man comes I, prepared does his is, show notes <laughs> it is not even but it's not prepared well here it's like i'm my, I, you know i'm scanning both pages i have some written on one page some on the other but I, I mean i can't tell you how popular this stuff is and when we talk to people like Indomic and sue and a rod about all the business beyond the game and the things they're doing um i don't think we heard tech investor right we hear a lot of tech we've heard of like equity in these startups we haven't heard too much about the prominent real estate investors, you know, at least on, on the home front, <laughs> you know, on the personal home. They, they, they need to know things like like-kind exchange. You know, do you know this? Do you know what you can capital gains? You know what you're allowed? Single 250,000, <laughs> married 500,000. You know, do you know about a 1031, Evan? I know you, you own your yeah, apartment. Yeah, the, the multi-billion dollar uh, housing market is not something that I am... Uh... <laughs> that, that I'm all too familiar with, to be honest. Well, the next time we are hanging with any of the Rams... And, you know, we had our Super Bowl event with the Rams and, you know, Kevin Demoff was there, the, C- the CEO. I'm going to ask them, say, hey, is this something these guys talk about that, you, that you're aware of that they, they go into? Do they share a broker? And which is, do they talk about how are we going to go about this? What's the smart way to go about this? Because I don't, I don't want to talk to, you know, Matt Stafford about his new commercial or what the play on the field. I want to talk to him about 1031 like-kind exchanges and see if he's used it yet. There you go. One thing that that jumped out to me, Scott, you mentioned uh, the uh, th- that Russell Wilson and his wife Sierra sold their their place in in Seattle. They bought a place in Denver. I don't know if you caught this in in, in the the posting we did. They, they bought a twenty thousand square foot place in Colorado. How many bedrooms do you think are in the twenty thousand square foot? place that uh, unfair that you you obviously don't remember but you mentioned it to no, me i did okay yeah yeah yeah. So it's 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 way low it's four yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's four but there's 12 bathrooms there's four bedrooms and i don't know if they have kids i don't know what the situation is there i'm just i i was reading this thing expecting there to be like 25 bath- bedrooms in this place and then it was it was, it was four please but no treehouse once you've had the opulence of a treehouse you have to build another one yeah so soon to be five <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. Thank you very much for all you do, Cora. Uh, she reminds you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportacast Media Network. Sportacast.